In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. have indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show we continue our tribeca immersive coverage first glenn neath one of the artistic directors of darkfield and garth mullins host of the crackdown podcast join us to talk about intravene a new docudrama about the overdose crisis in vancouver delivered through Darkfield signature spatial audio. This debuted its first episode at Tribeca Immersive last week, and it is now available along with a second episode on the Darkfield radio app. Then, Edward Matujamu, the artist behind Mescaform Hill, The Missing Five, comes through for a lively discussion where we talk the art of storytelling in both XR and comics, two of my favorite topics. We've been watching Edward's work since meeting him back in 2019, and now you can catch his latest in the Oculus TV app as Mescaform Hill was released during Tribeca. Plus, we get a quick visit from our friend David Spira of Room Escape Artist updating us on the upcoming recon. But before we get started, a quick update on what you can find on the site this week. In short, a lot. Not only do we have our Tribeca coverage, including our ongoing review diary, and our creative creator spotlight feature with five interviews, including the directors of the much-buzzed-about Evolver, the Tribeca X award-winning Emerging Radiance, and the Storyscapes award-winning Kubo Walks the City, but there's even more. Like Danielle Look's feature on the origin of Denver's Odd Knot Odd Knock Productions, which stretches from when the team met as performers on Third Rail Project's The Grand Paradise, all the way through the process that birthed From on High, which is debuting this weekend. Plus, the review rundown has six reviews this week, including two from The Hollywood Fringe and the latest from Candlehouse Collective. And don't forget to head over to Everything Immersive and check out this week's Trailheads column to discover your next immersive adventure. All of this is brought to you by the generous support of our Patreon backers, of which we had not a single new one this week. Uh, So let's change that. Uh, Without your help, we can't keep going. So if you find what we do valuable, please make a pledge to our Patreon.com. Patreon, Patreon.com slash no proscenium today and join our sustaining backers. They are Ari Herstan. Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all, and uh, thank you for keeping us going. And now, without any further ado, let's get into our first interview with the creative team behind Intervene. Longtime listeners to No Proscenium are no strangers to Darkfield, the production company that uses spatial audio to create chillingly immersive storyscapes, both online and in installation form, setting the bar for what's possible in the field. As part of this year's Tribeca Immersive, Darkfield is involved in something a bit different from their fictional fare, partnering with documentarians and activists to create a kind of immersive audio docudrama. 
Intervene, which plunges listeners into Vancouver's overdose crisis. It's an intense experience that, for something which you can only hear and not see, is at times also intensely visual. Joining us today are Glenn Neath, uh, Darkfield's artistic director, and Garth Mullins, Crackdown podcast host and executive producer of The Experience. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Hi, I, I'm Glenn Neath, uh, one of the artistic directors of Darkfield. I'm Garth Mullins. Uh, I'm the host and executive producer of Crackdown, and I'm part of a drug user union here in Vancouver called Vandu. Before we get into how this all came together, could why don't you take uh, take a crack at what exactly uh, Intervene is? I'll give it a shot. Um, we've been telling stories about the overdose crisis from inside of it here in Vancouver for about three years. And um, we were approached by Brenda Longfellow with this opportunity to kind of do a more immersive plunge into the experience. And that's where we met Darkfield. And so together we decided to make a couple of um, immersive documentaries about different aspects of the overdose crisis here. It all came together with uh, Brenda Longfellow and uh, Andrea Salazar, who's our executive director, met on a UK-Canada immersive exchange program, um, which sort of put together uh, uh, artists and, and, and producers and such like from, from Canada, from the UK. And from that, um, Brenda was interested in, in tackling the subject and uh, she then got in touch with, with Garth and Crackdown. I'm really curious as to what we're hearing in the piece, because there are parts of it that feel like traditional documentary documentary interviews. There are other parts that are completely surrealistic. And of course, you also have a point of view. You're in someone's head the entire time. You're, you're often being kind of dragged into this nether world when, when someone goes into overdose. How did how did that approach come come together? Shall I, I'll just talk a little bit about how, how the process uh happened and, 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 and went on. So we, we started off with this idea that we, as always, uh, no, we wanted to, as you say, put the audience member at the center of it. And um, we've done the whole project basically from, from online, you know, and mm. so we've not been able to be in the same room together. Um, so what happened was we sort of pieced together um, stuff that, that, that crackdown sent to us. So there's a lot of field recordings that were taken uh, inside an overdose Prevention Society, which um, alongside a series of of interviews that um, Garth um, set up. Uh, Now, when when we started listening back to this, I mean, all all the stuff in the OPS is really, really brilliant and exciting. And the interviews are also brilliant, but they they didn't really, it was very difficult to make it feel uh, immersive from our point of view. So what ended up, what we ended up doing was we, there was one of the characters that, that Garth spoke to, Trey Helton, who works at the um, at the at the Overdose Prevention Society? Who, in 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 the end, became the sort of um, main character within the drama. Who basically was speaking to the audience member pretty much the whole time. So we sort of uh, used uh, sections of, of that interview that that Garth did with um, with him and sort of pointed it towards the audience member. And then we then also, in addition to that. Um, did a few uh, extra recordings uh, with an actor um, who sort of played a, a minor character in the in the drama, and and a few lines with Trey, which we directed more closely towards the audience member, and that's kind of how it all came together in terms of uh, the structure of it. No, you said it sounds surreal. Parts of it, and uh, the parts of it that sound surreal are real. 
that's the that's the amazing thing about this. An overdose prevention site is is a place where people are smoking rock and shooting uh, what used to be called heroin or fentanyl or whatever, and uh, frequently overdosing and being brought back to life. And so you're in the middle of this place, and it's it's pretty chaotic. You know, there's people using, there's dogs, there's like uh, you know someone operating a bag valve to give oxygen. All of this sort of stuff is going on. Um, and then we have Trey in a separate interview explaining what's happening, explaining that, that he knows this world really well because he used to live in it. He used to be a drug user himself. And, and so he, he takes us right into it. Um, and then, and that's the surreal part is that this, there's this place where people who are, you know, not paid that much are there saving people's lives every day, uh, to try and get through that's to me, that's the surreal part. And then um, the addition of um, lines from a, an actor just helps remind you of, of who you are in all of this, that you're actually standing in this place, you know, so they might say something closer to your ear. So you're like, oh, yeah, I'm I am actually here. And then, of course, we recorded the uh, OPS site itself in binaural audio. So it's a real surround three dimensional uh, uh, experience, a lot of moving parts. So when you're in the OPS that's live location sound you guys recorded. Oh yeah, we did not we did not make that up. That is 100% real. In fact, I mean you couldn't you can't make it up, you know. No, I mean you can't write that and it was and it was also really important uh for us that we didn't we weren't really interested in 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 writing anything. It felt like we wanted all the all the text and the, the words to be to belong to the people who were in the spaces, it felt it perverse to start trying to put things into people's mouths, which is why the actor became kind of we had so we had more pretensions to have more more um, recorded studio sections sections that we would traditionally do, but it felt like they didn't seem to fit right. So we uh, it's very very minimal in terms of uh, of what's added. Most everything is as uh, as Garth said is is live in this in this space and uh, and and out of the mouths of the people. It strikes me that this is a different way of working for for both of you, but coming from different directions. So maybe actually let me start with with Garth. You know, you've been telling stories on the Crackdown podcast about this crisis. They said for like three years now, working in this immersive form, working in a form that that puts the audience in the as a character. Uh, you know, as a, as a, as a point of view, has that something that you, you had experimented before in the audio format or, or was this working immersive style completely new to you? I mean, we've done uh, traditional audio documentary storytelling, uh, except for my, I mean, my own life uh, gives me a personal stake in all this. I've been a heroin user for uh, a lot of years and then a methadone more recently. Uh, and and a lot of the people on Crackdown are friends and sort of comrades from struggles for uh, ending the overdose crisis. So uh, it's like I, I already kind of live there and we've tried to take listeners there, but we've used sort of the devices of storytelling, character, narrative tension, uh, like like sound for sure. Lots of live sound, um, but not we haven't ever used immersive yet so we never we always thought we want to bring the person we want to bring the listener into this world but we never thought of and they should stand right here (laughs) you know what i mean we never had that detail of of uh sort of worked out you know were were folks at the ops when you were using the binaural setup 
Oh were yeah. They, were they were they weirded out by what you were doing? Like how like one of the things when you're you're working these in the setting and you're doing documentary work is, you know, building the rapport with the subjects and you know, you've been in this space for a while. So I imagine a lot of that had already been done, but new equipment always shakes things up. Well, the binaural rig we have, uh, you know, you can get the uh, fancy kind that are, that have like a head. And so if we were walking around into the OPS uh, carrying a head, the tape you would have heard was like, Hey Garth, who did you kill? Whose head is that? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But uh, what we used is the, the in-ear binaural rig. So it's like putting a microphone in your ear. So I, I think, for our producer, Alex DeBoer, who was wearing them, a lot of people just probably thought this is someone with earbuds in because they're mm-hmm. very small. Um, and, you know, I've known Trey uh, Helton, who's who's the character and who also works at the OPS. I've known him for uh, several years. So, y- you know, like when you know a few of the people in the place, everyone's like, okay, this person's all right. You know, it's, it's no problem. Yeah. So you, so you guys are well suited to, to get this one put together. Glenn, I think so. In fact, that's what uh, that's what crackdown can bring because yeah. uh, you you places like the OPS have experienced a lot of sort of very sensationalistic and exploitative kind of journalistic coverage, and, and so the access that we got and and the latitude to do a bunch of interviews. Um, I mean, we're not the the only people who do that who can do that, but um, it's not it's not everybody. You know, it's like, like there is a trust, there is a relationship there. Glenn. This is also a very different way for y'all to work. Have you done nonfiction work in this format before? Uh, no, um, but I think um, I mean what we what we tend to do with all of our work is we we start with a uh, the story is is often the thing that comes um, that comes last. So often we start right. with this, an audience configuration or a, or a sort of. A, a set design and we then try and find a story that fits into that. So we, so I always think of it as we start with a set of parameters or a, se- a set of obstacles, which we then uh, fit something into. And so when we started this, it didn't feel, it didn't feel uh, unusual actually to, to be working with material that uh, was that, that crackdown provided all the sort of the site, the field uh, recordings and their interviews felt like just another parameter that we then uh, tried to find a way to use. But, um, so I suppose yeah, it was just about shaping it really, and trying yeah. to find and trying to trying to uh, collage together what we had and, and and decide what were. I mean, there was lots of interviews, really great interviews that Garth did with with other people that never made it into the into the piece, but they did make it onto the uh, to the Crackdown podcast version of this episode. But um, they didn't, they just didn't fit because it felt a little bit like you were sitting in this space, and then then there was these two people talking to each other, and it didn't feel as if you were activated, if you like, in it. So this is why we sort of took out um, Garth and, and just stuck with Trey. So it felt as if Trey was speaking to you rather than somebody else. The piece winds up being, I mentioned this in the, in the open, intensely visual. I think it's one of the most visual pieces I've I've gotten out of Darkfield yet. And uh, d- does it hit that way for, for y'all as well? Because it really feels like not only the the OPS not only you know kind of being able to sense and see what's going on in there, but then there is this other this other kind of uh, you know meta layer like a, a fictional layer of, of sort of a limbo space where you're waiting on your number to be called and then this mm-hmm. this is sort of a an act break thing that happens. Uh, it's also what happens when someone when when the point of view you're in is is ODing. 
Uh, but even that has this, you know, this visual nature to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose the, 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 I mean, I think the, 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 the overdose prevention site recordings are, are really visual, I suppose. It's, but you, you, you know, because it's people with so many different people, it's, uh, they're extraordinary. And, and, and as Garth said, they're not something that you could ever create because it's all, you know, it's so, it's also real. I suppose the, the, the other uh, space that we uh, created this, but it was, it, we were trying to find, I think, some way of, uh, of bringing in some some other stuff so there's a few there's a few lines from the interviews in that space as well but also to create a sort of sense of um um yeah about how, how does it feel to be to, to have an overdose and we sort of wanted to 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 uh bring the audience member into that sort of that situation um or get as close to it i mean obviously the audience understands that they're not overdosing but it's i suppose it's about trying to trying to get them as close to that as possible garth how do those sequences work from your point of view yeah i'm uh i'm blind so nothing's really visual to me (laughs) so uh, uh i never i never really thought about it that way um you know i i don't know if there's um there's a auditory version of imagination, you know, you imagination has image in it, but there must be some version of like how, how you trigger all these deeper parts of your brain through audio input. But it, it really, it really does do that to me. The, the unfortunate thing is I've been there so much that I already know what it looks like. So it's hard for me to hear that tape fresh, right. you know, and, and hard for me to encounter those people for the first time uh, when I've known them for a long time, but I mean, I'm really, I'm glad to hear you say that. Well, also, I mean, I'm also thinking about the sequences where, where the, you know, the, the overdose happens, like the, there's this, this, it sounds like someone's going underwater um, and Mm. kind of coming out in a different space. Like, does, does that, does that feel, does it have like the sheen of truth to you? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that. Like, I've overdosed myself, so I was describing to the Darkfield team in on our Zoom meetings what I kind of thought it could be like. You know, it's like it is, it is like a certain kind of underwater feeling, or the the world kind of disappears from you, or when you reemerge into it. You know, uh, it, it it does feel like you're breaking the surface of something, and water seemed like a good metaphor. So it does it does ring true to me. Um, different people probably have different experiences of overdose. And of course, depending on what drugs you overdose on, uh, can, can change that as well, but it it does come from a true place. The years you've been telling these stories, have you, have you seen a a shift in perception, um, in Vancouver about the overdose crisis? Or do you feel like you're making, you're making progress in terms of the way the public understands things there? Yeah, I think we have been able to punch through to the public and to journalists a little bit. You know, Canada's a small place. Vancouver's kind of a small place. We know a lot of the people who work as opinion makers, and and we have been able to, I think, uh, create a space for a more um, humane view of people who use drugs. We haven't really punched through to the policy level quite yet. Um people are still dying in record numbers and governments in Canada are, you know, fussing around at the edges with, 
with little incremental pilot projects and stuff, but but nothing to really get at the thousands and thousands of people who are dying. So, uh, you know, I think we put our foot in the door of a conversation, but uh, really, uh, there's a long way to go. Glenn, to now that you guys have had this experience of, of working in nonfiction, is is this a new door open up for for Darkfield uh, and the and the platform? Um. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, well, you know, we're sort of always interested in, um, in in any kind of project if it sort of excites us. And we, when we, you know, when we when vendors started talking about this, it felt like we could do something really interesting with it. We also, you know, we've also just made Paradise, which is um, which is on in South by Southwest, which is about intimate partner violence, and that's a that's another sort of um, documentary collaboration. So you know, um, they were coming thinking fast, but yeah. Um, it's not that you know the way we work is we're just making our work and if and if we come across something that interests us we'll jump on board yeah so we're always up for new stuff well and given the way you know story emerges out of your process it's you know i'm reminded that that's that's very much a journalistic process even in, in your fiction work you know building the scene looking at the elements and trying to puzzle out how it all fits together and then finding a through line i mean that's that's the you know that's the process of making a, a news package or a produced piece in audio. Yeah, um, yeah. You're always working that way. So it, it, it in some ways it, it doesn't surprise me that you guys have landed here. Uh, in fact, I feel kind of like an idiot for not seeing that this was something that was definitely possible. Um, how's been the re- how has the reaction to the piece been so far at Tribeca? Um, I got to admit, like it it. It was really intense and freaked me out a little bit. Um, so I'm wondering if that's you're seeing people uh, kind of shocked by it or uh, yeah, or a, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, intense is the word that most everybody's used, and we yeah. have had a couple of people. Um, um, there was one guy who who um, left yesterday; mm. couldn't sit through it, and and another and, and a woman whose son. Um, was an addict, and she had to uh, she had to leave as well. So there there has been some quite strong reactions to it yeah and it's been very very positive i mean it's only been on for uh, two or three days so far um and it's just, it's a bit of an outlier here i mean everything else pretty much is vr so we're we're very much uh standalone in terms of, of what we're offering um but yeah it's been going going very well and and you can and you know it's available to book uh from uh wednesday uh and the shows that start on the app on, on the 16th on Thursday. So, you know, you'll be able to access, the public will be able to access it online on the app from, from then. All right. Garth, if, if people want to learn, if people come through, intervene, they hear this and they want to learn more about what's going on in Vancouver with the crisis, uh, where can they go? Anywhere where you get podcasts, you can listen to Crackdown uh, or crackdownpod.com. Uh, so we when we, you know, recorded all the tape, uh, with with Darkfield to make this uh, immersive episode, we made a, a longer uh, episode on um, you know uh, drug contamination, including benzodiazepines that's happening. So it includes uh, you know some audio from the OPS and and a discussion with Trey, but also um, discussion between uh, relationship between two people, Martin and Laura, who are trying to survive. Um, the overdose crisis trying to survive the continuing contamination of the drug supply and how their relationship works out. So it's like, uh, there's a, a little sort of kernel from the immersive, uh, the immersive part, uh, nestled in this, uh, uh, you know, love story almost. Uh, so if, if people want to, uh, 
if they got a taste for it here, uh, come to crackdown, crackdownpod.com and, and get the whole thing. All right. Well, and Glenn, just, to say also, oh no, just to say also, we are, there's also a second episode, um, which, um, which will be going out at the same time as, uh, as, as Benzo's the first episode on the, uh, on the, on the 16th, which will kind of get part of a free as part of the same package. All right. Well, definitely going to dive into that, uh, over here as well. Cause, uh, I'm, I'm very, very blown away by what, uh, what you guys made this time out. Glenn and Garth, thank you both so much. Uh, intervene as we know is coming to the dark field radio app, uh, It'll be up by the time this episode airs, and uh, the rest of you hopefully have caught parts of it at uh, Tribeca already. Uh, again, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks a lot. Uh, take care. Stay safe. Keep six, everybody. See you Thanks later. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us on. Cheers. Hello, this is David Spira from RoomEscapeArtist.com, and I'd like to take a moment to tell you about the Reality Escape Convention, Recon. We're hosting it in Boston, Massachusetts, this August 21st and 22nd. Recon is an immersive gaming convention that celebrates gaming and creates opportunities for people to learn while playing and also learn wonderful things from our fantastic speakers, in addition to many social opportunities. Recon is almost sold out. We have fewer than five tickets left, so if you want to get them, please do try. I cannot promise they are available at this point. Additionally, if you have a product or service for players or creators of immersive games, we have sponsorship opportunities, and we would love to be able to tell you more about those and see if they fit your brand. Whether you're a player or creator, we want you at Recon. And if you can't make it, please do check out all of our content. Like our friends at No Presenium, we are constantly putting out information for our community. And you can find all that at RoomEscapeArtist.com. But if you are looking to get to Recon or sponsor Recon, you can learn more about that at realityescapecon.com. Hope to see you in Boston. As we're wrapping up production this morning, there are just two tickets left to Recon. So uh, if you a weekend of immersive gaming sounds good to you, you might want to skedaddle over to realityescapecon.com, just like David told you. So before the dark times, before the pandemic, uh, one of the last cool things I got to do was go up to the Vancouver International Film Festival, which has a a pretty robust XR component. At the time, one of the things that was happening was Kaleidoscope had put on this uh, like incubator program, uh, you know, as part of the, the festival as a whole. And there was this, this guy, this guy right here, Edward Marujamu, who had this amazing piece which mixed comic books and VR animation in a way that I hadn't seen anyone else do and really kind of haven't seen anyone else completely do sense. (laughs) 
Uh, and I was over the moon with with this piece from the storytelling, from the craft, and from the way it let us kind of peek around outside the frame. And when Tribeca and Marissa rolled around this year and started announcing who was in it, Edward was in Tribeca. Edward, I'm so <laughs> glad to have you on the show and talking about you being in Tribeca, man. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's this has honestly been like a dream come true. Just like like a few years ago, this was something that was like on the far horizon that one day I want to, you know, get a project like this out and debut it at the big festival. And it's the fact that it's, you know, 2019 was like, oh God, 2019 was a long time ago. But yeah, it's, it, it feels amazing. I'm still, still not fully, still haven't fully processed it, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, how long have you been working in this field now? Because, um, you know, 2019 both is very close and very far away. But, you know, your path, your path to doing this hybrid kind of work uh, must have started before then. Uh, yeah, actually, I've been, I'd say I've been working in XR in general since maybe late 2017. That's when I first have, like tried out anything VR. And my first, the first thing I ever saw in VR was uh, Dear Angelica. Oculus mm. Story Studio, which is, and it blew my mind. It, it blew my, which is also really great because now I'm we, Miss Cornhill we just released with with the same people who made Dear Angelica, so it just blows my mind. But it, that, after that, I was my brother, my older brother had like he bought an Oculus and he and he was like, you need to try this thing out. And then he shows me Dear Angelica, and the same day he's like, do you want to use the thing they used to make Dear Angelica? I'm like, yes, <laughs> and then. You know, you start drawing in 3D space and eventually, like, you realize there's so much you can do. There's so, so far, like, the next, and I, I was starting my degree at the same time. Like in, I was studying animation at Emily Carr University, and it wasn't, like, I, was, I came there to study 2D animation, but then I tried XR, like, before, like, in my first week of school. and it, Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I, I couldn't, like, go back to just doing 2D animation for that point in time. It, it, it kind of broke the curriculum for me, because, like, all I could think about was this was virtual reality. It was, so, yeah, it's been just about, been about five years now just doing this kind of work on and off. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's been a big, big journey. <laughs> You mentioned uh, the name of the piece that's in Tribeca. That's Mescaform Hill, The Missing Five. Um, before yes. we get too deep into the how, let's let's start with the story here. You know, what's what's the tale you're telling? And I know your your brother Adam is is part of that telling as well. Yes. So um, my brother Adam and I created Mescaform Hill as initially as as a web comic, and the general idea was just to kind of explore the the lives of you know everyday people in an African part of the world, you know, because it's, I don't know, it's, it's what we grew up on and it's, it's, what we, it's where we grew up. And it's, and we kind of realize, especially since moving here, it's like the, there's a very different, like the, the a mundane life here is very different from back there. And we just kind of realize there's so much unexplored stories that, 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 that no one telling them was like, who better than, than us, right? Because we, we've lived there and we're here working in this field too. So Miss Formhill, The Missing Five specifically, is kind of like, I would say it's our it's it's our it's our attempt to tell a, a grander story with it. Because when we started the project, it was it was it was it was this webcomic and it was it was kind of this kind of slice of life type of thing, you know, and then 
And then from time to time, we do like a short film here and there to kind of test out a small animated piece and just to experiment with the property for a bit. But then we never really committed to telling like a full story. And then when Missing Five came into being, we were just like, oh, we can actually tell something that kind of takes all these, this core concept of like this, Afri- this small African town and just the kind of things that happen happen there and the different forces at play. On the, in the different journeys all the characters have. So Miss Cormac's Hill, the Missing Five is basically the story that explores. It's, it's kind of, it, I'm trying to like find a way to talk, to talk about it without giving too much away. But basically, as the title suggests, there's basically several policemen have, have gone missing. Right? And this young, this young cadet kind of wants to, he wants to prove himself by solving this case, this big case that is stirring up so much commotion. But then, he quickly learns that the that there's a lot more a play to this story. It's not as straightforward as as he can, and and it's kind of like he needs to. It's kind of like him seeing how much more complex the world he's in is, and then reevaluating where he wants to be in that. You know, I don't want to give too many spoilers because one, it is available for folks who are checking out Tribeca right now, whether they're they're physically or they're approaching via the museum of other realities, but also um, it's either coming to, or is it out on Oculus TV right now? As well? It is out on Oculus TV right now. Yeah. You can, so, you can watch it right now. <laughs> yeah. So that means anyone with uh, a set, uh, you know, Oculus set can, and I, I highly recommend that you do. So uh, well, you know, maybe even, you know, if you, if you, if you want to go pure spoiler free, um, and, I, and like I said, I won't go too far, but just like pause here, go watch and then come back and, and we'll, <laughs> we'll dive a little more. And maybe even like, we'll come back and do like a spoiler cast at some point. Um, yeah, awesome. so there's an element here, a little mythic, magical kind of seeps in at the mm-hmm. edge, but I'm interested because it's also, there's sort of, you know, sociological storytelling. There's a, there's some structural stuff about the world you're showing that, that, moves these the the plot pieces moves the characters into position uh to sort of be opened up into this this bigger world so i'm i'm wondering you know as you as you and your brother you know developed this like how you see that relationship between telling a story about the you know the real factors in the world uh and how that is contrasted with the mythic which is always about from my understanding about the emotional and like sort of the emotional logic mm. of the world. Right. You know, versus say the political logic of the world. Yeah, you know, totally. We, that's something that we've thought, we've definitely thought about thought like my brother, Adam, he tends to like, I mean, we both share this, but we we're, we're not able to tell purely escapist stories. We're not, I don't think we're both, either of us are good at that because in our experience, you kind of, ha- we're used to kind of taking things as they are and, you know, finding the escapism within those things, right? So it's, so whenever, so especially in the story, bringing in those, like thinking about how it relates to the real world events and things that, that happen regularly back home in Nigeria, for example, it, it's not it's not so much of like, a, we put this here to say, oh, this, this is this or this is that. It's kind of like, it's just wrapped up into the DNA. So for us, it's more about seeing the way these things are and how they interact with each other. Because, for for like the for like the characters the diff- the various characters in the experience you you can see how all these like the 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 people they're up against the 
the situation affects them. And something that's it's interesting to us is like it's not, it's not like it's, they're not those things aren't affecting them because of the themes of the story necessarily. They're affecting them because it's a part of their everyday life. It's something they have to deal mm. with, right? So it's, it stops being even something where we have to think about, oh, what's the political thing we're saying here? Because it's just a part of our day of the, of the day-to-day life back home, right? So, so when you bring in the supernatural elements, it's kind of like a way to heighten certain things because there's that there's that idea of contrasting things that you can't like fiction is really good at contrasting things that you, and making things clear that you can't really see in, in in real life so i like the idea that the supernatural element tends to heighten things for us to kind of see things clearly you know we can i can use this other otherworldly element of the story to kind of accentuate the very real aspects of it so that's how that interplays there's more there's a lot more to it that we're hoping to explore sometime in the future so I, w- I won't go too much into it because i don't want to give it give too much away but it's it's definitely something that we always try to make sure that that element isn't just isn't there for spectacle necessarily there there might be some spectacle to it but it's always like you said there's always something emotional at the bo- at the bottom and it's always it's always present in a way that it, it makes meaning and also doesn't and here's the, the most important thing for me is it doesn't if anything it, it kind of makes like whenever you have an supernatural element you're kind of it's not displacing what the reality is in any way it's if anything it's making it it's giving it's making it clear it's it's like a caricature of what it is it's making it's showing more of what something is you know i my my grad my my grad film actually titled light catchers was about um about these kind of like monkey-like mythical creatures that that come during the day and steal electricity by like biting into the wires and the whole inspiration for that was because in back home at Nigeria, we didn't have stable electricity. The power could go out at any time and you kind of don't know when it's coming back. So, and that was kind of the idea. But when in that case, I use the supernatural to show it, it by having, even though this, the, the, just the lack of the infrastructure back home is the cause of this problem. I replaced it with this creature to make it a bit more fantastical and interesting, but at the same time, it doesn't take away from what the reality is. It's if, if anything, it kind of shows, shows you how, how scary it can be and how like it could be on a tiny, it could be a little annoying thing and then it can really become something scary. So it's just, that's kind of the, the, the approach we try to take to with everything. I mean, that's, that's the core of like myth and, and religion, right? Is like yeah. trying to come up with, come up with a, you know, something that feels emotionally true for the, the raw chaos of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's any kind of storytelling. There's, there's some philosophers who would say like, you know, everything we do is just, putting a story on the absolute chaos of of the world that there might even not yeah. be real causation we're just yeah. <laughs> we're just coming up with oh this has happened because of this that the other thing and it's like no we're just guessing you know <laughs> we're, we're just we're just guessing we, we do that at all at all layers from the from the interpersonal to to the societal yeah um but instead of instead of casting forward into where you're you might go with mescoform hell as as a as a story world I'm wondering how long has this story been with you? How long both the story world of Mescaform, but also this this particular tale about, you know, the the young officer trying to prove himself, the 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 child, you know, connecting with their parents, like all these elements. Right. I would say it's been it's, I'll say it's been there for a while. Adam was actually was the initial spark of this specific tale he was the one who kind of put it together and i i i fleshed it out during production but i would say 
we've talked about something along these lines for for years. Like we, we worked on Miss Form Hill, the missing five took about a year to create. So including including a few like an extra few months for development. So so a lot of the story was kind of locked into place during that time. But I would say these are the, the earlier tale of like this the things with this, these things with the police have been there for for much longer. It's been it's been some. It's been. It's come from you know a mix of personal experience, just also like news back home. It's been something that I feel. It's one of those things that I feel like was inevitable. Like at some point we were gonna tell a story about this, regardless, you know. But this Ms. Cormill just ended up being the a nice vessel to kind of to get this story out because not only did we have like not only did this, especially this particular tale, give us the opportunity to to talk about about this issue but also allowed us to how do i put it like show the complexities that come with it it's not just it's not just it's not like i have a hard time even reducing it to just being about this one thing or this because it's there's there's a lot of all the characters the way the way we see how they interact with the police that they interact with one another you know the the kind of there's there's an atmosphere to it that i feel like has been there for a very 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 long time you know, even like I can think back, like I think the earliest, even even like I say back in 2017, which is when we actually started committing to the idea of Mescoform Hill as a as a concept. I'd say that's since back then, it's it's still been something prevalent. It's only just coming out now. You mentioned that you know you you went to university for studying 2D, and you wound up getting seduced to the virtual <laughs> side. But you've worked across comics and VR, and and indeed. Uh, how was your day? Uh, you know, manifested, which is a piece I, I got to see uh, back the, back in 2019. Manifested across both platforms. Like there was there was a comic version that was on the iPad, and there was a uh, you know almost six, I guess, yeah, like a six DOF version that was yeah. accessible. And there's also been a, a three degree of freedom version. This piece here, it's on Oculus TV. It's three degrees of, of freedom. I'm I'm wondering, since you've had the story world of of Mescaform Hill with you for a while now, uh, mm-hmm. as you just said, uh, did you know when the when you when you went to start doing the Missing Five, you know, did you know you were making a three off experience, or did you you find that this is how you wanted to approach it? I guess what what was the creative brief here and a little maybe there's even chicken in the egg when it comes to meta you know was was this something they approached you about doing or you approached them and yeah like why is it why is the destructor taking this form uh <laughs> right i see i see yeah i should yeah. actually just point out that I, it is actually sixed off it's just the presentation is mostly it's kind of okay there. so there there is like if, if you were to like get up and like approach things it there, it, it is like they're all three-dimensional pretty much everything you're seeing is three-dimensional, but it's kind of a seated fixed experience. So the, the depth only kind of comes in cues, but yeah, it's, I, I'll, it's, I'll, I'll note, like I, I did the, I did the museum of the realities oh, version I see. of it. I would explain and that. like, and that one, like, and, and my recommendation, as much as the museum is really good, my recommendation for everybody is, is with the, the quest Oculus TV version, do that one because with the, <laughs> With the more version, if you turn and look around, you see the door back into the more. <laughs> and so it's it's it throws you out, and also it it's not 
it's a little, a little shaky, but yeah, like I, I was definitely doing like, oh, I'm going to lean a little bit. Of, oh, I can see, I can see outside the frame, you know, but I'll, I'll, I'm, I already intend to plug myself back in before I actually like review the piece into like, right. the quest version. Cause I was like, oh, I think this will probably be better in Oculus TV. That being said. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Was, like, yeah. Which it, came first? Uh, I would say it was, uh, they, they, they reached out to us and to, and that's, that's how we how we ended up putting putting this together, and it was it was kind of we kind of always knew from day one it was going to be on the Oculus TV VR animation platform, right? So, no, I I'd, I'd done pieces that are, that are are all up on that platform before, so I kind of knew what the limitations were of you know it's like in con- contrast to like Damian Phelan and how was your day? It's like the the six dot version of that had a much wider range of like interactivity you could go you could actually step into the world at any time there was there was a lot more functionality because we 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 custom built that whole setup but this one was was the i would say vr animation player is a lot more it's more it's more for viewing and exclusive is it's not there is you have the interactivity of like when the story stops and starts you know but it's not as it's not as free in 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 that sense so we kind of always knew it was going to be that way but i i I actually kind of took that in in stride in this case because it was like with Damien Phelan, it was it was a lot about because once again I was Damien, I'll say that Damien Phelan was the blueprint for this project because I was still it's it was still figuring out how do comics actually fit in virtual reality as a whole and in three yeah. D space it was like there's there was a lot there's actually in my head there's two major ways it can go right and I would say Nesquam Hill now is the is one of those other is one of those ways I'll say that Nesquam Hill is the more theatrical you know version of it mm. where you're you're kind of you're kind of seated in one spot, right? And you're not, it's not about, not so much about you exploring, it's about you being along for this ride of this. It's about being kind of like up close and personal with the pages of a comic book. It's more, I'll, I'll say it's closer to that, you know, whereas what we, whereas whereas the other way to go, which is closer to what we do with Damien Phelan, is more, it's more user-centric in the way you explore. And it's kind of centered around how you wish to experience the story. Whereas, Miss Cornhill is more of we're telling you the story. There's a, there, it's entirely subjective, if that if that makes any sense. So, um, I would say the way we approached it was just to lean into that because I wanted to like see how far can we push the medium with things like the multiple panels and like you know the contrast of oh sometimes you're in the world, sometimes you're not. You know, because some feedback I've been getting is that really amazes me. Is some people there's I think early on in the first act of the third, when you finally like get placed into the world and you're in this kind of police station and a lot of people have have told me that moment was really like like it it, it they really felt like the immensity of that space because they we'd had them outside watching looking into the panels up until that point right so there's all these yeah. uh, interesting opportunities to explore with that and like what it, what does it feel like to actually be be like up close and personal with a comic book not sometimes inside it but like you know the idea just see how do we abstract you into that limbo space between the panels of a comic book right and that was the score was kind of like let's see how far we can push that as a pure storytelling experience you know with the minus the the, the expiration there's still a bit of that there because I, I i'm i'm a sucker for that stuff so i always that's why we had those big moments where you're in the world because we wanted you to kind of like inhabit it just like the characters do at least for a few moments but that was kind of how that that came to be but at the same time it i'll say that, that it's yeah definitely they reached out first and this was kind of we knew the going in but it it was something we just kind of leaned hard into one of the things i love is when you are using panels uh in the piece 
you will sometimes get a sense of, you know, what's just outside of the frame. And if you like tilt your head, you can kind of see a little bit more into the world. Or even at times, if you're at a certain angle, you might see that the the frame is, the panel is masking, you know, a slightly larger image. And, mm. and some of this is, you know, the, you know, the artifacting of, of how it was made, yeah. but it, it's, it's tantalizing in a way. And it, it feels thematic of this whole notion of there's a world beyond the story we're looking at mm. at any given moment. And these, these characters live in this bigger world. And there, you also play around with things where like characters like bust out of the frame. Right. You know, and, and yeah. that has, that has an emotional intensity intensity to it as well. The same way it does in a comic when a, when a, when, you know, an artist breaks the panel. Yeah. Uh, but of course you hear, you get to have it in the third dimension as well. And, and, and it puts these characters into, you know, a different spatial relationship to yeah. them. I wonder if you can actually talk to that of like, you know, the relation between, you know, the, the layout of a comic book page and a- approaching 2d storytelling, which you, you definitely have uh, completely the skill set to, to knock that out of the park. <laughs> And the spatial storytelling that goes on uh, in in a three D environment, right? Yeah, that was. I, I can like I can talk for hours about that. That was, that was something we, we we had to. I'll give you seven uh, minutes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear hours, but the show is the show. only yeah. <laughs> okay, but uh, basically the idea we we had to basically relearn everything. I thought from Damien feeling I would know everything, but no, I had to relearn this whole thing because right because on, on comic on on a, on a flat piece of paper you're abstracting time in this clearly linear fashion, you know, the first left, if you're reading left to right, you know, panel left to right and top to down. So it's like left, right, pan, like time is moving left to right and, and top down. So it's easy to, to convert, but even, but in space, it's not quite the same. There's no objective forward direction in space. Right. So, and also because of the way the comic, because, because of the way the best plays out and, and the panels kind of, they're not, you don't, you don't like control them one at a time. They, they pop up in order. So, we had time. We had time already, like built in for the user. They just have to kind of pay attention. But at the same time, it's like we can't. We we have to strike this balance of like the panels are clearly in a linear order, but at the same time, they're they operate as spaces. So we kind of had to design our like we we try to we had to design the panel layouts as kind of like spatial, like as, as simultaneously as, as environments, but also like as an abstraction of time, which is. Mm. hard to say it's very hard to like explain or even visualize sometimes because you have to figure out okay how much like how do not only how do these like panels look in isolation in terms of like individual story moments but how do they how do they weigh for example you find like if you wanted to like this is in comic book language right you'd have like a a bigger wider panel to kind of show like to 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 kind of imply that this is a longer stretch of time that we're looking at you know right and a a thinner panel for like really fast movements here it it amounts to like things like scale right it's like this is a big moment so in the panel itself has to be really big but also the panel that came before that has to be nested within that new panel in in an interesting way we had sometimes because there's sometimes where we'd have like two panels that are clearly behind frames and then we have a third one that's kind of spatial in front of you. And we have to figure out how do we layer those in a way that felt like, you know, like, for example, we, we played we, we played a lot with, like, depth and having, like, 
we ha- we have like an like the closer like we, we kind of use we try to use depth sometimes to like give you that sense of time progression so like the further yeah. back something is the further it's in it's in the past you know it's as it's getting closer it's it's a more recent event it's kind of like i something we found is like because it's hard to with space it's i feel like space is extremely malleable without because we didn't want to make the panel layouts get boring too fast so we were like we have to kind of establish those rules and break them from time to time it was it was a really tricky balance strike but something we learned is people pick it up almost like without even knowing they're picking up the language of, when, of, when something when something works real well, I like to call that Apple obvious, right? It's mm, like when something nice. works and it's just smooth and people get it almost intuitively, it, it's usually a sign of like just re a lot of hard work to find a <laughs> thing that seems intuitive to the viewer or the user, but for the for the storyteller, for the developer, it is often the hardest thing is coming up with a thing that feels simple. And I I completely hear what you're saying with like, you know, things farther out feel like they're, you know, they're in the past, they're they're at a distance, right? There's an emote, physical distance is emotional distance is, you know, the distance of time to the viewer. And then you also have that going on inside the box with the characters themselves, like how, how far apart yeah, you know, characters are going to be that, that, that level of spatial storytelling is it, it's a whole nother dimension. Yeah, uh, like, in yeah. in in a real way. Totally. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of like there's like I remember this one panel where they're pointing at a character in the corner, and we have to kind of imply their spatial relationship with the way with like the the, the imagined planes of the panels that they're framing. Right. It's they're there are all these new rules that I can't wait to like see other people take on and like, you know, break and establish and reestablish because it's a whole other, it's like, it's like, you can't just have, it's, it's not a flat canvas anymore. The canvas is, is a room. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a four walls. Is it five walls? We don't know. It's, it's, it's really exciting, honestly. Yeah. You've talked about there being these two ways of approaching comics in VR are are you actively pursuing both pathways at the moment or are you kind of switching back and forth between the two or 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 is the current path you're on uh the one you want to kind of refine for a while uh i think i might be pivoting back <laughs> to the other one i mean once again the, the, i don't think there there's only two ways but in my experience these are the two ways i find the most interesting and the one we've done with best form hill now i, I don't have terms for them so i'm, I'm just going to say this is the this is the more story intense version and i'll say the other one which is what i want to pivot to actually is the exploration driven one because i found like i i i still find like one of my one of the, one of the most successful parts of damien feeling for me was just the like the people who would jump who who like who would jump into the experience because the second they realize they can do that it changes the entire way they approach the whole thing they're like they become like detectives they become like narrative detectives almost and i found that's with mixing that with comics is a really interesting way to to like play around. The downside of, of that kind of that approach to it is it's more you kind of have to I feel like it's it's hard to tell a, a linear story in mm. the traditional way. You know, it's like I we I don't think we'd be able to tell Mescaformo the Missing Five the way we did with with that kind of format. It kind of works. It lends itself better to stuff that that has layers of like depth and I would say there there needs to be a, a feeling of how do I put it? There needs to be a feeling of 
exploration driving the whole thing. You need to kind of, feel, it needs to be like about constant questions that get answered. And then those answers reframe things you've already seen. You know, there's this kind of sense of like, I would say in that case, space becomes the full, like becomes your canvas. It's not so much about like, I, it's not so much about me giving you this clearly linear timeline of events. It's about you exploring the space. And as you explore it, you're, you're, you're creating, you're, you're seeing these stories in these different orders and the way you, you, you see them, the order in which you see them, it's, it's kind of like navigating a museum space, right? We all see the same exhibits, but the order in which we saw them and where we chose to go and how much time we spent with them completely changes how we contextualize that, that experience, you know, and that's something I'm really excited to dive into more. I, I don't know what form that's going to be in. It might not even, it might not be Mescaform Hill. It might be something else. I'm not entirely sure yet, but that's kind of where I want to pivot to because having seen, having done Mescaform Hill, the missing five, it's like, it's clear that there is a, there's a proven, there's a proven, like there's a valid viable path towards comic book storytelling in VR for me anyway. Like I, I can see something that echoes or if not, or is even truer to what comics already are thriving in VR. But I really want to see something that really takes the, like allows the the audience to participate in the storytelling, which is something I think comics are exceptional at. Cause you know, you read the dialogue, you, the, the sound effects, all that stuff, you, you imagine that with the with the with the author, you know, it's it's very collaborative in that sense. And I want to find a way to, I think I'm I'm really excited in exploring ways to do that, with not just like the sound effects or the or the dialogue, but in terms of like how the actual story is structured. It's like how letting the audience be you know, collaborating with the audience to tell the story. Like it it, it would be great if people. If, we, if there's some way to, and I have some ideas, but I don't want to <laughs> put the horse before the cart, the cart before the horse, or something yet. So, it, no, it's very exciting. It's that's the I'm, I'm definitely going on that rabbit hole next. <laughs> well, I'm 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 super excited. I mean, I'm I'm so glad that Mescaform Hill is out there, and that there's now something that people can find that it's basically built into the Oculus that the festival yes. circuit. Uh, community is going to find it at Tribeca and they're going to be introduced to you and start to start to know your voice. Uh, And, and I'm hoping that opens up more doors and gets you more resources because getting to play the way you were just talking about, I, I cannot wait. I've been (laughs) since that day in 2019. That's all I've wanted. (laughs) Almost like, like like in a like in a top five of things I want to see, <laughs> this period is that because it it you've you've managed to bring in all of these things that um I I love comics, XR, uh you know, genre storytelling that's rooted in you know uh, you know solid characters, but that's also rooted in this in this sense of, you know, the way the world really works. So even though you might be doing sci-fi, even though you might be doing this a supernatural tale, you know, these, these characters live in a world that is, that is recognizably related to ours and yeah. uh, nothing excites me more in, in general, uh, like uh, in the world than that, those kinds of stories and to see all of those elements being, being put together. Um, I, I'm just rambling like a fanboy now, but uh, 
I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that was the answer. So <laughs> yeah, you just made my day because I'm yeah. That's that's all I. That's honestly all I obsess about when it comes to stories these days. It's like it's like, if, if I can't make it, somebody else needs to make it. Please, <laughs> dude. I want to. I want to see you make it. I really do. I really. I really. Really. Really do. Like I think. I mean, people who are listening who haven't seen who haven't seen your work yet. You know, they're like all like, why is why is Noah like being this way? It, it, it was. It was a it was one of those like the scales falling off my eyes moments when I walked through the frame in how was your day? And, you know, I think everything you're doing with the Mescaform Hill, because those, the, the restrictions of that format means that you're focusing more on the, the moment to moment storytelling, the, the, the spatial relationships inside the space, all of that stuff, that's all additive as well. And, with the yeah. piece you did, with, with, with the fact that How Was Your Day had one version of it that was the comic and one version of it, like there's the there's the three-dot version that's in the in the more that you can go check out, I think still, I think it's still around, yeah, um, at least in one of the iterations, uh, and then have like the, the full exploratory version. It also shows that, you know, the workflow pipeline can create these multiple approaches to the story and the experience and that itself is like a microcosm of the way big ips do transmedia but it's also a way of meeting audiences where they are yeah um and and it's just so good it's just so good it's so good (laughs) yeah that's yeah yeah that's yeah that's that's all that's what it's all about to me just that accessibility that's yeah i need I mean, I, I have my, my parents are like, we want to watch this thing. Where can we watch it? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, that's a can of worms. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I, here's I, a comic. I yeah. <laughs> here's a comic. Yeah. Right. So it's... you can handle that, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. But it's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, Edward, um, as we've noted, uh, Mescaform Hill, The Missing Five, is at Tribeca right now. It's also anywhere an Oculus Quest is. Just plug into Oculus TV and you will find it there. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on the show, and uh, I will be following your career like with interest forever. So, <laughs> thank thank you so much for having me. This was it was really spectacular talking to you, and also finally, I've been like because I remember last time we 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 chatted, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to the next iteration. And I was like, I'm hush hush. Like I was working on it at the time, and I'm just like, I want to say so much, but I'm so I'm glad this is finally out. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it, this is this is great. So thank you, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Any old time. Once again, I want to thank Glenn, Garth, and Edward for being our guests on the show this week. Also, want to thank David for swinging by and giving us an update on Recon. Uh, I've got a skedaddle, so that's it for the show this week. Next week, we've got an interview with the creators of Illustration in the can already, so that's definitely going to be part of the show. And on the site, you're going to find even more Tribeca coverage uh, wrapping up. Uh, We've got some more diaries coming up. I believe the review crew next week, we're going to do uh, an episode about what we've checked out there. 
and uh, yeah, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a rundown, all all the usual suspects, and I think we'll be able to get a call sheet out as well. Um, as always. Uh, we do all this with your support. Uh, we did the Patreon plug at the beginning, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, help spread the word. Uh, if you, if you like the show, uh, please jump into, uh, you know, Apple podcasts and drop us a little review, uh, and let everybody know that, uh, we're good little, we're good little boys and girls here. Uh, so send that, send that our way. Uh, it helps a lot, helps people to discover the show and our show is a discovery tool for creators. So hopefully a nice virtuous circle going on there. Uh, you wouldn't think that stuff matters and yet it does. Isn't, isn't it, isn't it silly? All right. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Let's do the credits. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Uh, Siobhan's got her 100th episode of Please Don't Touch the Artist uh, hitting this weekend. I believe it's coming up on Saturday. And uh, I produce and host this thing. Uh, I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>